All right, well, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 actually is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Um, I, I really enjoy this chapter, um, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that um, as we get, get into it here. But last time, just as a way of review, since we've been off Corinthians for a few weeks here, um, you remember we left off in chapter 3, if you do, with talking about the blindness of the Jews. Um, it talked about how a veil covered their hearts. And I you know, put a picture of a veil up here, maybe that gives you some sense of it. But, you know, Paul was saying when, when, when the Word is read and when, um, uh, you know, the Word of God goes out and the truth of Jesus being their Messiah and Savior, you know, they just can't see it. It's like having this veil... Uh, covering their face. Um, I don't know how that gal seals. There must be some kind of slits up there, but she's got a cell phone, but it got her face covered. I love that. Anyway, I'm sorry. I shouldn't go on with that because that's not my point there. But, um, you know, they have their face covered. They, they can't see um, the gospel. And sometimes we were surprised by that. Um, you know, we just don't always remember that they're blinded by it. We share the gospels and, and not just with Jewish people because he'll explain that everybody that doesn't know the Lord has been blinded uh, by Satan and, and if you would, veiled. Um, so, but, you know, we get surprised. It's like, man, it's so simple. It's so clear. It's right here. How come you just, duh, how come you're not getting it? You know, we, we share about Jesus. We share, uh, uh, they see it, you know, uh, in our lives. They've, see, they've even seen changes in us. They, they know about it, and it's just so clear to us. It's crystal clear. And, and then we just wonder why... They're like, okay, whatever. What? what? You're just blowing it off like that? You know, we just don't understand why they could just be so flippant about it or it's not a big deal or, you know, it's just because they can't see it. And, and specifically, he's talking about the Jews. They just, they just, it's like Moses with the veil over his face when he came out and saw the Lord. They just can't see it. They just don't get it. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. As a matter of fact, we... That, that's the norm. Now, he was spe speaking about the Jews, and we'll move into speaking about everybody else having that same thing in a little bit here. But we left off in chapter 3, and again, uh, when you read verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. So, you know, the word therefore, and even though there's a chapter break here, well, it's there for all that he just talked about. So because of all that we know, and uh, we know that they're blinded, we know that they have this veil covering their face, we know they can't see it clearly, and again, we, we know that the Lord, and we'll talk about it a little bit here, has to remove that veil so they can see it, um, but even though we know it's, it's difficult, they just can't, you know, it's just not something that you can just convey to people, they just won't see it, they won't get it, and but we have this ministry, he says. We have this wonderful message of the new covenant. We have this wonderful message that we just sang about uh, this morning here in, in, in the songs that we sang. We have this great and important and the most important message uh, that ever could go out. And it's this new covenant, this glorious uh, triumph in Christ who transforms uh transforming us by his work of his spirit um, and doing that great life and making and molding us into uh, more like him and carrying us home into heaven, uh, paying, of course, for all of our sins on the cross, resurrecting again, again, demonstrating that we are going to be resurrected and all those wonderful things that we've talked about for, you know, uh, months and months here, and we're going through the books of, of Corinthians, and of course, you know, before that, again, we have that, and, and we've received this mercy, and notice he says, we do not lose heart, you know, we receive this mercy, but we don't want to lose heart, or as some of the other translations will put it, we don't give up, you know, uh, we don't give up, because at times you feel like giving up. You know, I don't see the point in continuing. I'm banging my head against the wall. It doesn't seem like they're ever going to get it or this is ever doing anything, you know, of any kind of value. I, I just, you know, uh, you know, it just what's the point of going on? And at times we can feel like giving up. Paul understood that. 
you know, uh, again, you, you, can, you can feel that way in ministry today and in sharing the gospel and in so many different things in our Christian walk, we can just feel like giving up. And, you know, uh, you know, at, at church, you know, as our church has kind of ebbed and flowed and everything, uh, y- you know, you know, I don't know how many times we've sat through, you know, a service or a Bible study when, you know, nobody was here. And, uh, you know, you feel like, well, what's the point? You feel like giving up, right? And, but we can't allow those kind of feelings and how we feel any about any particular thing or particular way or how response is happening or not happening or anything like that, you know, we, we can't allow that to stop the wonderful message that we have to share with people. And again, um, usually when we want to give up, when we don't want to, you know, or we start losing heart, as it says in the New King James or giving up in some of the other translations, you know, it's again, it's because um, we're usually looking at something, you know, from a personal standpoint, or, or let's say just, if I could put it in these words, an unspiritual point of view, um, you know, we just, we're frustrated because they can't see and you're, you're, nothing is happening and you're spending all this time or effort or energy and all this and nothing seems to be working out or moving forward. It just seems to be, you know, in that same old thing and, you know, you just lose heart. You want to give up. And, uh, but Paul says, no, we, we, because we have this message, we can't do that. We need to keep going. We have received mercy and we need to pass it along, even though it's tough and it's, the going is hard. Now, a lot of us have got to think about we've had it hard. And when we read about what Paul feels like giving up, I think it'll put it in perspective. But, you know, and he'll talk about that in a little bit as we get a little bit farther on here. But he says we have too, too important of a message to give up. We just can't. We can't allow the discouragement or the, how the circumstances are not working or working or doing this or doing that. We can't allow them to uh, discourage us. And we, can't, uh, and we know it's going to be difficult. We know it's going to be hard. We know they have a veiled face. Well, we need to press forward. And then Paul says here in verse 2, But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation, thank you, about the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Let me just put it in the New Century uh, version, um, and I like, maybe it makes it a little clearer in my mind at least. It says, but we have turned away from secret and shameful ways. We use no trickery. We do not charge the teaching of the Word of God, we teach the truth plainly, showing everyone who we are. Then they can know in their hearts what kind of people we are in God's sight. Paul is saying what we do, how we serve the Lord is honorable and right before the Lord. So, you know, how you can press on, how you can continue to you know, move forward and not give up and not want to uh, lose heart over things is that, you know, you first of all, you realize, listen, I, I'm, the reason I'm doing this is just to serve the Lord. I, I want to honor the Lord. I want to do what's right before Him. I, I'm not working some angle. I'm not trying to get something for myself, uh, bring attention to myself or some notoriety or gain something from it. Uh, and sad to say, there's a, there's a, a, there is some, and I'll you know, I'll say in the body of Christ and, you know, I'll let God sort all that out. But there are some that have ministries and church ministries and some very big ministries. You know, you wonder if they do have uh, wrong motives. You know, it is about them and it is about what they get and how, uh, how much praise and response or money or whatever they get. You know, sad to say that there is that in there. Now, I still, again, I, I don't believe it's the majority of the Christians, but it is out there. And I, I was uh, reading something about uh, this guy from Scientology, which, of course, is not even close into the body of Christ at all. I mean, it's as, almost as opposite as you can get, really. But um, I was reading, a, he, he was in the um, the upper 
level, I forgot there's a certain name for it. I mean, he met, he was working with L. Ron Hubbard kind of a guy, right? And the new guy that took over after L. Ron Hubbard died, he's L. Ron Hubbard's the founder of Scientology. And, you know, he was going on and on about some of the stuff that they do there that, you know, he, the, the, the new leader for L. Ron, you know, to, to go over for L. Ron Hubbard, forgot his name, you know, didn't like what he was saying, or maybe he just didn't like how he knew L. Ron Hubbard and he was a new guy or something. It was, you know, it was, he couldn't really put his finger on it. But, you know, one of the things was he needed to get like an attitude adjustment. There's a certain term in Scientology for all these things. They have a lot of terms, which I didn't realize, but he basically spent like a year in prison, like Scientology prison, you know, like a re-education camp. And then he went on and tell all kinds of stories. I mean, man, it just blew my mind how, how wicked and evil and just how way off that stuff is. Um, I mean, this is a guy, he said he got a watch from, uh, what's the uh, actor's name? Tom Cruise for his birthday. So, I mean, you can see where he was, what circles he was moving in in Scientology. And Anyway, uh, you know, uh, and you understand that, you know, that you want to give up and to fail and stuff like that. Uh, you know, all this craziness. And there is different sects and stuff that's outside of Christianity that claims the name of Christianity and all that stuff. But, but, back to the story here, but Paul says we're not like that. That's not who we are. That's not our attitude. That's not our, 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 our heart. What we do is plain by all who is seeing and watching us and hears us and knows us. People know what, what we're trying to do is right. And again, I think that's something that just can give us a lot of strength and encouragement is that, you know what, I'm not in it for anything other than to do what you want me to do, Lord. You know, this is I know what you've called me to do, or this is I know what your word tells me I should be doing, or this is the kind of thing I should be doing and being a part of and doing this, and I'm doing that because of that, not because of what I get out of it or what people think or how, you know, I'm recognized and, and this and that. And, and again, um, that's, that's not what we do. And what's true is our plain is our heart is just for you, Lord. And, you know, it's demonstrated in how we live and what we say and what we do. And, you know, he's reminded of that. I think that gives us good encouragement. You know, Lord, I'm in it for you. Sink or swim. And um, it does bring us a lot of encouragement. Well, then he goes on back to the being veiled here. Verse 3 says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine on them. So now here, as I said, mentioned earlier, you know, it's, it's opening up here, it's moving. It's not just the Jews who are blinded, which they are, but it's really everybody else. Their, their eyes are blinded. Um, if they haven't received the gospel they are spiritually blinded. They just can't see it. And, and again, I think it just brings us encouragement. It's just when you understand that they just can't get it. We're like, why can't you get it? I, I'm, I'm in explaining it. Maybe if I just explain it better. Maybe if I had a better illustration. Maybe if I just said it with, you know, the right words. Man, I wish, you know, Billy Graham could share it with them. And then they would believe, you know, it's not that at all. It's not that at all. It's just that we have to understand they're blinded. There is a veil. There is the God of this age uh, has blinded them. And I, I think those are certainly sinister. Uh, sounds more movie-ish, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, they are sinister. I guess we overuse that term. But, you know, forces, uh, uh, demonic forces, satanic forces, certainly. But there's also just this the spirit of carnality and of the world that's blinding too. I, I think that's all part of all that. Uh, you know, th that's all part of that. And, and they're blinded. They just can't see. And so when we, you know, try to do something or say something, and they're like, why are you going to church when it's raining? <laughs> you know, you're going to catch a death of a cold and, or whatever, you know, people, uh, like I was saying before church, you know, rain keeps more people away from church in California. I was always kind of cracked up about that. But 
Anyway, you know, uh, uh, you know, oh, well, you're going because it's great. Well, yeah, I'm going to go to church. You know, I, and they don't get it. Oh, why are you reading your Bible or why are you praying or why do you talk about Jesus all the time? You know, can you just be kind of normal and hang out with us? And yeah, you can have your little church once in a while, but you know, and they just don't get it. They're blinded. They don't see it. And, and so, you know, we can't be frustrated or mad with them in that sense. They just can't. And, 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 And again, it's just the plain truth and fact of the matter. Um, they can't see and they're blinded. And let me just remind you, it, no matter how good they think they are or other people think that they are or how spiritual they seem, you know, without receiving Jesus, you are blinded. Again, I think if we interviewed people on the street here and went up to Knob Hill or Food Max or Starbucks or whatever Target over there and just, you know, ask, you know, how do you get to heaven? You know, what makes, you know, God happy with you or whatever, you know, those kind of eternal questions there. Oh, a person, a good person, a person with a good heart, um, you know, a nice person. They're not, you know, trying to do bad all the time like those people, you know. Uh, again, they're blinded. doesn't matter if they have a good heart or they're a spiritual person, as some people like to say, particularly in our area, you know, and that could mean that I'm in touch with nature mostly when they're a spiritual person around here. Uh, but, you know, when you go to the Bible Belt and other places like that, that means they're a member of some church that they've been into for like four generations or something like that, right? They have that spiritual sense here. But they're blinded. They are. They just can't see. It doesn't matter how good they think they are, or other people think they are, they're blinded. And I think one of the most important things we need to do is to pray in these spiritual battles that the veil is removed, that this blindness is gone. We have to, let's take a step back and say, okay, wait a minute. You know, Lord, I, I guess I haven't really connected. They just can't see this. You need to take that veil off that they can see this. And I think that's one of the most powerful prayers that we have in our arsenal uh, of our spiritual you know, uh, tools, if you would, it, it is, you know, to pray that the veil would be removed. And, you know, uh, again, that Satan or the deception of this world, the lures of this world, or all those things, you know, uh, that, 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 that that's taken off and they can see the truth of the gospel, the love of the gospel. And, and I... I I even think in one sense, and if you allow me to stretch this a little, but I, I think this in one sense can happen to believers a little bit too, like in verse one when we want to give up. You know, we, we kind of are blinded by the fact that God's in control and, and that they're blind and they can't see him. You know, we, we just figured we're, we're not working hard enough, we're not good, this is not working out, whatever, it's not God's will. However, we kind of you know, justify things where we want to give up or back off or change things because of, you know, uh, the going is getting tough or difficult. And in one sense, you know, we can, not that we're blinded from Satan or any of those things, but in our own uh, sense, you know, there is that kind of blinding. We just forget the mercy and what we've been shown and how we need to pass that along and how that needs to be greater than any kind of response or lack of response on anybody's part or how things are going or not. We We answer to the Lord and not to um, how we think things are supposed to work out. Because when we do that, we'll just give up. You know, if we have expectations, this is how it should go, then, you know, almost everybody would quit something. You know, you'd give up pretty quickly. Um, we just have to remember, you know, who we're serving, who's called us, our heart, what our desires are. At the, when you'd strip everything away, Lord, I just want to please you. I just want to do your will. And then, you know, there's some great strength there. You remember the story in 2 Kings chapter 6 with Elisha? And Elisha and his servant, they're there. They're just kind of kicking back. And, um, you know, the, the king up north, um, the Syrian king, well, it wasn't actually the Assyrian king. It was the, um, you, know, you read it and then you forget, huh? It's how simple. But anyway, the, the, uh, up in Syria, um, The king, you know, was mad at Elijah because his troops had told us, hey, this prophet Elijah is, knows everything. God shows him everything. Man, even what you're telling your wife in your bed, king, he knows what's going on. And so he sent some troops after Elisha. And, you know, Elisha just doesn't know. He's in his bed. His servant gets up in the morning. 
you know, his buddy, and, and he goes outside maybe to get some water or something, looks around and sees these troops, you know, just surrounding the city. And, you know, that was the most powerful military in that area at the time, just surrounding him. And he's like, oh, 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 oh. and he just runs over and wakes up Elijah. Elijah, you've got to be kidding me. We're surrounded. This is it. It's all over with, right? We're done for. And, and what does Elijah do? You know, he just kind of rolls over and I don't know. How, that's how I kind of picture it, right? You know, he just says, Lord, just show him. And then all of a sudden, the servant, his eyes could see that, yes, there's all these soldiers around the circling of the city, but then he saw this heavenly host encircling them, right? Encircling those guys. And they were, you know, one of them is, is worth, you know, a half a million of or half a billion of, the, of these guys surrounding the city. And, and, and then all of a sudden, Elisha's servant knew, hey, it's not too big. It's not too tough. It's not too impossible. Look at the backup we have. Look at the support that we get. Look, look what we have here. And of course, you know, the rest of the story is that, you know, Elijah prays to blind them and he leads them to the capital city and, you know, the rest of the story. But, you know, it, it, his, his eyes needed to be open to what was going on in the spiritual realm. Because then all of a sudden, I want to give up. It's too big. It's too impossible. It's too tough. This, that, or whatever. We realize, wait a minute. The resources I have, what has been given me, and they're, they're far and above any of these problems or difficulties or heartaches or things that I can't understand here. And I need to understand it in those terms. It's not too tough. It's not too big. It's not too impossible. And I think that's what we need to see here. And then he says in verse 5, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it, is the God, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So he said, knowing all this, it's not about us, I'm not... We're not here talking about us, follow me, go to my church, do this thing. You know, it's about Jesus. And we are just doing what he called us to do. And what he did, he called us out of darkness, right? And shown the light of this knowledge. And, you know, uh, we see now this glorious truth. And we just want to repeat that. Somebody did it for me. So you want to do it for somebody else. Somebody passed along the good news and was faithful to do it, give it to you. So you pass that along and you keep going and you don't allow all those things knowing who you are reporting to or responsible for. And then you, you know, you realize that, you know, uh, this is just great, glorious knowledge is coming forth. And the glory of God, notice that at the end of verse six is seen in Jesus. So you want to know what the Father looks like, you look at Jesus, right? So we have this. And then, of course, you know, in their day, Jesus, you know, in their generation had been walking around. He had been there. He had, you know, they had heard of him. And, of course, this is pretty far, far of that. And I don't know, maybe some of them did visit Jerusalem at some point, some of the Jews certainly, and had heard of him. But still, we hear about him through his word. And one of the important things that we understand is that, you know, we get this knowledge of the glory of God through the face or through Jesus Christ. I just think that's important as just kind of a side note here. But, you know, when people say they believe in God, but I'm not really sure about Jesus, you know, let's remind, you know, remember, you can't know God without knowing Jesus, right? You can't. Um, you know, again, um, it's just important that we understand that the Father is seen through the Son. It comes, you come to the Father through the Son. There's just no other way. A good person, you believe in God, uh, and that's good enough somehow. That gets you around, uh, you know, this whole Jesus situation. You know, I believe there's a God. Of course, you know, we know the devil believes in God. That doesn't really count as much. But we just, you know, we have to understand that. It, it comes through Jesus. And again, that's why we always point to Jesus and not to a person, not to a church, not to any of those things. You know, our eyes, our words, our focus is on Him who 
paid the price for our sins and has opened the door and the way to the Father. Right? We have that. It's done that. We point to that. It's not about anything else. Well, you might say, how is this done? How is this accomplished? How does God do this? Use us to share this glory of gospel of Christ, you know, of God, His glory through the face of Jesus Christ? Well, verse 7 is one of those great verses that tell us how it's accomplished. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels or jars of clay, some of the translations put, that the excellent power may be of God and not of us. How does he accomplish this? How is this done? He puts the most precious thing in the world and puts it inside the simplest and frailest of packages. You know, jars of clay or earthen vessels, those are the simplest, cheapest vessels there are. Um, Here's a picture of of Shiloh today in modern Jerusalem. This is where the tabernacle was set up uh, when, you know, Joshua and the boys came into the land. And, of course, you know, the Jews got into sin and everything, and then this whole area was destroyed, so Shiloh's got some importance there. But anyway, when you go out to Shiloh, one of the things that you, you, you notice, besides it's nothing and barren, just like the picture pretty much, but they knew this is where the tabernacle was because when the Jews had um, some of their holy days, their holidays we would call them, the days, the, the festivals, you know, the, the Bible calls them, when they were done with their cooking, they would break them. So they would just get these base, and there was, it's just littered with pot. I mean, here's like a, an example of that, right? Uh, it's just littered with it. I mean, it's just stacked on top of stacks, and I don't know how many years that the tabernacle was sent there. But you have all this broken pottery there, and, and they would do that because it was just meant for that holy use, and then they would just get rid of it. So what they did is they used the most simplest, cheapest, you know, thing that there possibly could hold liquid or food or whatever they were doing and and um you, you know because they knew they were just going to get rid of it after that meal or after that couple of days or whatever particular the the festival was doing or the holiday and, and so here you know if you would it's likened here that this what's the most precious thing in the world is put into the simplest and frailest of packaging um just think about that you know, that's what he does. He puts that knowledge of gospels into frail, weak, you know, every other word you can think of ourselves, you know, as believers, you know, we're crackpots, <laughs> right? You know, uh, all kinds of stuff. And he, he chooses to do that. He chooses to do that. You think, man, Lord, this is like, you know, there's so many better ways you could do it than to have me as your messenger as your one representing this most important thing ever of all times you're going to use this this weak vessel this one that is cracked so easy and it's so simple and it's so frail you know it is christmas time and um annabelle's collected ornaments for forever (laughs) And we get a couple of them every year. And those things, I don't know if you ever held Christmas ornaments, you know, we probably have this. They're the most, I don't even know how they make them. They're so fragile. They must break like 20% of them just in, just in manufacturing and packaging because they're so fragile and just a little thing and they just crack and that's it. They're, you know, glass dust. I, I didn't know you could make something so thin. But, you know, if you think of something like that or you think of this clay pot, you know, I move plants around in clay pots, and if you put them down too hard, that's it, man. You just crack them, right? Um, They just break so easy. And again, uh, it just shows that it's not about us. It helps us to think and not to give up. And doing this is that, you know, he chose to use us, and he knows our frailties. He knows our weaknesses. You know how easy we can you know fall apart or this or that it, it yet he put something precious in there and of course one of the great reasons of that is that you're not looking at the vessel you're looking at what what's the important part you're not looking at this pot you're looking at at if you would the gold or the jewels inside of this clay thing the clay thing has nothing it's just kind of containing what's valuable and what's important and you don't and no no attention is given to that 
And the same thing is true in our lives. It's not about me or uh, you know, this ministry or people lifting themselves up as something special or spiritual. Man, at the end of the day, they're just clay pots. And if you think of yourself anything more than that, well, quite frankly, you know, when a person thinks themselves and lifts themselves up as better or more spiritual or closer to God, I, you know, I, I think the less that person becomes useful to the Lord. Because that just takes away from everything here. Now the package is just so beautiful and so wonderful and, and this and that. And, you know, I'm not going to bag on all the churches, but I, I do have this in the back of my mind. You know, I just, I, I always, and I understand when people don't, so just don't misunderstand me. But this is why I always think like church buildings should just be basic buildings, right? Because what's valuable is not some altar of gold and some huge ornate stained glass. Not that that's wrong or bad or anything, but you know, in my heart and how I feel about it, and you know, and I understand why people, you know, in one sense like to do that. But you know, I can't tell you how many beautiful cathedrals throughout Europe I've seen. I, I, just more than I can remember. And you know, I saw almost all well a good portion of those before I was even a Christian. I could go into church and literally those people and, and enjoy all that. My family could, which none of them were believers at the time. We could go in and we go in and visit these places because it didn't have any spiritual sense. It had an architectural sense. It had a, a beauty sense, right? And in one sense, I think that detracts from you know the simplicity and what's really important. It's not how beautiful it looks inside and how ornate, it's just who's there and what makes it a church, you know? It's, it's, God, it's God's presence in God's people. And, you know, and again, I'm not running down other people's opinion on that, but I, I, I think that's great to, to understand and know. I think that communicates to me a little closer to what God had planned. And again, the greatest demonstration of God's power is seen through human weakness. Right? This guy? You could say that guy? That person? That, you know, this, that? Man, it's just a great demonstration of God's power is seen through human weakness. And the Lord uses weak vessels. Because then we can never take any credit. <laughs> we can't just take any credit. Okay, well, how is this beauty, how does this affect this clay pot? How is this displayed and shown in us, this beautiful, surpassing uh, treasure of the gospel hidden with us? Well, Paul says, this is how it looks in my life. Verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 10 says, always caring about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Um, you know, Paul, if anybody felt this incredible pressure to give up, right? Or to lose heart, as we talked about. Um, there's every reason... Uh, to give up and to quit, right? I mean, he's hard-pressed on every side. That means you're surrounded. But that surrounding is not crushing me. I'm surrounded. I'm, I'm perplexed. I just don't understand why, but it's not to the point of despair. I feel like I'm all alone in this, but it's not taking me out. Um, you know, and, and, and then I carry around the results of those things. Literally, marks in his body from beating and stoning and clubbing and caning and whatever else they they did to him you know whipping him and uh give him the lash and all those kind of things he carries those around in his body you know if one of those things happened to us most of us would give it up and pack it in right we say okay that's enough <laughs> uh i'm you know that's it tap tap i'm uh i'm out right you know i'm, I'm tapping out here i just uh uh you know and, and there's all those reasons to give up. But again, um, I, I just think, I, well, I, I just like how it's written in the NIV. And let me just read it again. But this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And again, just 
see how the NIV puts it. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Again, um, everything that happens, you know, takes Paul back to the one who's sustaining him and who will sustain us as well. I have all these things happening to me and I carry around these things, but that's happening that Jesus might be revealed through all these things because I'm just this broken piece of, or this fragile piece of pottery and it's not about me, it's not about the wrapping, it's what's inside that matters, what counts. And again, Christmas coming up with gifts. Nobody spends time looking at the wrapping paper, especially children, right? That's just something to get out of the way so you can see what's important, right? The present. And in that same way, Paul says, I understand that all this is going on, but that's happening that what's valuable may be seen by everybody. And the one who is put that in my heart, will sustain that as well and sustain me through all those things. And it won't get to the point where it's too overwhelming because he'll make sure it doesn't. I have a couple of quotes I like from Hudson Taylor, you know, uh, from Inland China Mission, you know, that you know, took on this impossible task to, to evangelize China in the 19th century. But um, just a couple of them. He says, There are three stages to every great work of God. First, it is impossible. Then it is difficult. Then it is done. (laughs) I like that, right? I mean, isn't that great, right? It's impossible. Oh, man, I don't know how I'm going to get finished this up, right? And then all of a sudden, wait, it's by the power of God. It gets done. But at the first, it's impossible, right? And then there's this one. God uses men who are weak and feeble enough to lean on him. And I think that's one of the important things, okay? I know I'm fragile. I know I can crack easy. And if I'm not, you know, if something goes right, I'll get cracks. Things will fall apart. And understand, the Lord understands, I should say, the the frailty of all that. He understands the frailty we have. And He's going to make sure that that is used to His glory, And he'll use us and sustain us through that. And then Paul says in verse 11, because he's carrying around those marks of persecution in his body, or he calls them marks of death. He says in verse 11, For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And let me put that in the New Living Translation. I like it. It says, yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. And what he says here, yes, we've paid a price to share the Gospels. Yes, certainly he did in a very unique way or in the early centuries, a lot of first century, certainly, and I guess in a lot of places today, it's still like that persecution. I can't really discount that. But, you know, uh, that others might be born again and live. So remember that when we share the gospel, when we want to give up. You know, we've been shown mercy, as it said in verse 1. We want to pass that along. And if I give up, then, you know, all the people that you, Lord, have me in contact with and all that, I mean that's really on me to share the gospel. You've you've put me in certain people's lives that really I'm the closest to and I could reach and you've done that in in incredible ways. And, you know, uh, yeah, I'm going to take a few hits, a few cracks, a few of this, and it's going to be pressure and difficult. But but I know what that will mean to them if and when they come to know you. And, And that, you know, drove Paul on, certainly. Nobody gave up on him, and he hadn't been the toughest nut to crack in that day. You would at least believe that, right? So we pay a price to share the gospel that others might be born again and live. 
And then verse 13 says, And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, and therefore I spoke. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised us up, the Lord Jesus, will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. So looking back at the difficulties, looking back at how frail and fragile they are and what's inside and, and knowing that, you know, there is all this pressure and all this, you know, desire to want to throw it in and quit and give up and, or just back down and throttle down and, you know, take a few steps back here or there. You know, again, um, Paul had that, you know, we believe we're saved, you know, um, we experience the work of the Lord, so we tell it. But how do I endure all this? What helped Paul to get through all this discouragement we just read, this pain, the suffering, the trial, and, tri and the tribulations? How do we navigate that? Well, certainly he knew and believed in what was coming was real life and worth going through all this, right? You know, I, 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 I know that you know, what's really important and really what life is going to be. I know this life is short and I know eternity is forever. And, uh, you know, as he'll say here in a little bit, it's, and, and he'll say a number of times, you know, quote, you know, he'll remind us that this is just passing, you know, we're, uh, and, and others will say that, you know, it's like a flower is here one day, it's blooming, and then, you know, winter rolls around like it is now, and, and that's it. It's just all the flowers that I've planted in the spring are, they're gone, right? They're here, they're gone. And life is like that, but eternity's not. And, and again, you know, I, so uh, it's worth going through all this. And, uh, you know, you know, do we really think that, some, that he was some super saint who never faced problems like you and I do? You know, sometimes we, we put these great people in the Bible and we see them, particularly like, you know, Paul who did all that missionary work. It's just like, you know, these guys are so much above me that, you know, they, they didn't experience things like I do. Not true at all. They were just like us. They faced the problems. But what they did and what made them press on and go forward is, of course, knowing eternal life, knowing their calling, as we've talked about. But I think also it points out here in verses 13 and 14, particularly verses 13, that Paul knew something that a lot of us have found out as well, that when we turn to the scriptures, we get a lot of encouragement from the word of God. And I think especially Psalms is one of those books, and that's why Paul quotes here when he's thinking about how it's how it's, he's hard pressed, you know, how he's you know uh, feels uh, persecuted, struck down, you know, uh, per doesn't understand what's going on, feeling all those all those things that he just described, and carrying around those marks from all the persecution that came with it, you know, and then he does what what. I think is a great thing for us. He, he turns to the scriptures to get encouragement. And he quotes part from Psalm 116 here. And I think that just kind of came out naturally. You know, it was in his heart because that's what he did. He was under those problems. He wanted to give up. He wanted to quit. His pot was cracking, so to speak. You know, things might have been falling apart. And he, he just... You know, when he remembers that, his natural flow, and, and the way I read this is that, you know, then he starts looking and thinking back in his mind, how those Psalms that brought me comfort, how the Word of God brought me comfort, how this particular Psalm 116 will give me encouragement and strength to move on and not to, you know, be discouraged and, and not to count all the reasons to quit and to give up. And Psalm 116 is a wonderful song of thankfulness uh, to God for delivering the psalmist through some very tough times. And I, uh, you know, um, sorry, I put it up here. I mean, here's, here's Psalm, you know, 116, and I'm not going to read through it. But uh, again, it's just some great delivery here. And, and note this, Psalm um, 116 in, in round numbers was written a thousand years before Paul. And, you know, God had inspired the psalmist 
to write that song of great encouragement and thankfulness for the delivery that the psalmist experienced through all this. And then a thousand years later, Paul's reading it, and he's quoting it, part of it here at least, because, you know, he's thinking about all the persecution, the trouble, and the reasons to give up, and all that stuff. And it, this word brings him encouragement and comfort. And 2,000 years roughly from Paul's day, we can still find comfort in the Word of God and encouragement and strength and, and renewal and vigor and, and, and comfort and all those things that we experience. And we need to remember that as well because that's where we really um, gather the strength. That's where Paul gathered the strength here. And, and then he says, you know, Verse 15, for all things are for your sakes that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. So as we hang in there, as we continue not to give up, as we continue to trust the Lord, as we continue to move on, and yes, there's trials and heartaches and reasons to give up abounding. There's a number of reasons to to quit or pack it in or just to back off or, you know, to slow down or whatever it might be. But she said, I realized that, it, it, that, you know, the faithfulness that I keep to God's calling and God's word is going to benefit everybody. And the same thing is true with us as it was for Paul. You know, and, and as we pray for others, as we pray for situations, then you know, we see how God is working in those things and, and we, you know, are, are, are excited and we share in that, that joy as well. And, and, you know, what? one of the things that kept Paul going and kept his perspective, I think he sums up here at the end of, uh, of the chapter here. And, and these are some of my favorite passages. And to me, some of the greatest words of encouragement, you know, found in the Word of God here, and let's read them. And it says, um, Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And again, I think some of the greatest words of encouragement in the Bible, and some words I've read probably thousands of times in my life, needing that encouragement. Yes, uh, uh, no matter what's going on outside or in the body, you know, we're worn out, we're in pain, we're suffering, we have all these difficulties, you know, there's pressure on this frail body we have, this, this, this jar of clay, and we have all those things. And yes, Paul says, I experience them, I know them, I've seen them all. I've had a thousand reasons to quit, a thousand reasons to, to move on, a thousand reasons not to continue to move forward and to, to share uh, and all those things. Yet he says, no matter what's going on on the outside, he said, I am being renewed and strengthened on the inside daily. In other words, my spirit, even though I'm having all these thoughts and problems and difficulties and challenges and all those things, what's greater than all that pressure on the outside is the strength and renewing I get on the inside from the Lord, renewing my strength and encouraging me on the inside. Because all these troubles, as he said, right, all these problems, all these uh, heartaches, all these broken stories are just for a moment. That's a lifetime compared to eternity. Life, the ages we have, and again, as we, the older we get, uh, if I can get amen, the, the quicker it went by. I, I just, you know, I, I look at Ethan sometimes and I just remember being a senior in high school and I'm like, that seemed like just not that few few years ago until he makes fun of me and I talk about how there was no internet and Carl says there's no cars. I'm just kidding. You know, all those things, right? <laughs> you know, uh, and then I realized that, you know, 
we couldn't watch Christmas specials until they came on TV. <laughs> that was it. And you waited for those, right? I mean, all those things. And you realize how fast it's gone by. And it's a blink of an eye. It's here and it's gone. And Paul realizes that's the way life is going to be. Yes, it's going to be full of problems and difficulties and heartaches and trials and, and feel worn out and pain and suffering. But what I know how quickly it's going and I know how I get renewed and strengthened every day. And so because of that, he finishes with, I keep my focus on not what I see, the problems, the difficulties, the heartaches, the brokenness, the, the frailty of the, of the vessel of who I am on the outside. So I don't keep my focus on that, but I, uh, on what is seen, but I keep my eye on the reality of what's unseen and the eternal realm, not the temporal realm. And when we put our focus on the eternal realm and not the temporal realm, it's amazing how all those problems just reduce and drop and maybe even go away to a great degree because we see what's really important. And what's a big problem today is not going to be a problem two years or six months from now. And, and Or the Lord's going to take care of it or He's going to give us the strength. He's renewing us every day. There is a way to get through this because of His strength, His glory, his purposes and his work in our life. And I know it's going to go by in a blink of an eye. And, uh, and this is temporary, but what's real, what's important is what's unseen, which is the eternal realm. And that brought him all the comfort and more that he needed or the comfort you and I need. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this uh, chapter and uh, the great words here, and I, I, I pray that we would just mark that in our Bibles or in our minds, Lord, of uh, the great comfort and encouragement that's found and contained in here. And I know it's throughout your words, certainly, but I know there's some special passages that stand out to us, and I know certainly this is one of mine, and I pray uh, and know and trust that it's others as well, Lord. And you put that there for us, just as you put that psalm back there to comfort. I don't know how many people until, you know, Paul realized it a thousand years later, or we see it a couple thousand years even after that. Um, Lord, it's because you are renewing us day by day. You're strengthening us on the inside. And the frailties don't go away and the difficulties don't disappear. They will one day in eternity and they won't be a thought or a memory anymore. But those things and through those things, you'll sustain us and Use them to draw us closer to you and to bless us and, and to use us in great and powerful ways. And again, at the end, all the glory goes to you because we are so frail and easily broken and, um, you know, just uh, discouraged in so many ways, Lord. But we thank you for your strength and your encouragement and your way. And may it multiply along with the comfort in our lives, Lord. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.